today on CityCast Denver. A few years ago, nobody wanted to talk about safe outdoor spaces. Housing advocates said they'd provide warm, weather-resistant tents for people experiencing homelessness, but the mayor was against it. And at the time, so was I. But I changed my mind, and so did the mayor. And last month, city council approved an additional $3.9 million to support and expand the program. Right, we're here and we're ready. Sorry for our delay. Quika Montoya and Ian Stitt help manage the Safe Outdoor Space program. And they're on the show today to talk about why these spaces actually work. Today is Monday, March 7th, 2022. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Sorry, would you guys give me one second? I think my husband is hammering something and it's in the background. (laughs) Hold on one second. Sorry, it was actually my nine month old banging something on the floor and my husband was just watching him do it. (laughs) So sorry about that. Quika Montoya and Ian Stitt, welcome to CityCast Denver. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Quika, I'd love to start with just kind of some basics. For listeners who aren't familiar, what is a safe outdoor space? What a safe outdoor space is, is an outdoor individualized sheltering model. It's basically an alternative to our congregate sheltering options for folks that sleep outside. And when you say congregate sheltering option, that's sort of like what we think of when we say a homeless shelter. Correct. Uh, Congregate shelter is usually... A, a big building where there's a large room and there's many beds in that one room. Uh, so we seek to provide an alternative for that, which is people have their own space. So inside of our safe outdoor space, there's some basic infrastructure that we have, which are we, we utilize ice fishing shelters. And then we have larger tents for meal delivery and service delivery and a management trailer that houses our 24-7 staff. Ian, can you explain why those things Quika just mentioned, like the ice fishing shelters and the 24-7 staff, why do those make such a difference for people? So most congregate shelters, you have to be up by a certain time. That's usually five in the morning and that you have to be out the door. And historically, the, the shelters have been only nighttime shelters. And so it wasn't until the pandemic that we had switched to a 24-hour sheltering model here in Denver, which means that people can come and go as they please. But the beauty of uh, the Safe Outdoor Space compared to congregate shelters is that uh, we are a 24-hour shelter. We've been from the beginning, and so our community members have the opportunity of living their life the way they so choose inside of their own space, which is their uh, ice fishing shelter. On top of that, some of our folks choose to, to you know, be awake during the night or our night owls kind of naturally. And so I say kind of it's pick your own adventure in some ways like that because uh, we try to provide them with this this dignity, this humanity that every person deserves, which is that they get to determine how their days go. So if they want to choose to wake up early and go to to work, they can. And if they need to take a day off or not do anything that day, they can choose to do that as well. This question is probably for both of you, but I'd love to put the SOS program in the context of our broader housing crisis. Like, what scale is the collaborative operating at versus the scale of need for these services? 
Well, the, the scale is immense. I mean, we're experiencing a housing crisis, the likes that we have never seen. We have thousands of people here in Denver experiencing homelessness at, at any given night. And in that way, we are not meeting the need at which we would love to be meeting. But I also think in that regard, we are trying to meet the need in a dignified, holistic way. And so our intention is not to see this as the solution to homelessness, but a solution or an aspect of the multifaceted solution to homelessness, because we believe that this is a great opportunity for many folks, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it is the opportunity for every person experiencing homelessness. Yeah, we're we're trying to exist to be, you know, that alternative response to unsheltered street homelessness and really provide an opportunity for folks that uh, the sheltering system doesn't necessarily work for. So we're also trying to address the gaps in our current sheltering system, which some of the gaps are, you know, our genderized sheltering model. Uh, Not everybody feels comfortable in either a male or female shelter. People that have a partner, people with pets. And so we're really trying to meet the gaps and also provide an alternative to unsheltered, unsanctioned homelessness in Denver. So when Safe Outdoor Spaces was sort of first being talked about, I have to say, even as a person that um, advocates for support of our unhoused neighbors in humane ways, my thought was like, why, this isn't a great idea because I'd rather just see people housed. But as it's gone on, I've understood that this is part of a bigger picture of the continuum of housing. Where does where does like an SOS fit in between these, you know, like being unsheltered versus being securely adequately housed? So as you can imagine, somebody who's just fighting every day to survive for a place to sleep, a place to go to the bathroom, a place to have a meal... How do you have the time to work on those important things that would help you solve your housing crisis? You can't. So we're we're right there in that that space of trying to get folks um, adequate resources and wraparound services so that they they can just be and survive without having to fend for themselves on it. Out sometimes it's a minutely hourly basis on the streets. So having folks feel safe and stable so that that bigger picture can start to be looked at. And we do it in a community-based model. You know, I don't know that we talk about it enough because we, we do this because we believe that homelessness as it exists today will not be solved by the homeless service providers. We, we firmly believe that homelessness will be solved by the community. And only by engaging the community around us in the solution are we going to do any good. And I think to, to note on that as well, like we're bringing people back to themselves. We're providing them an opportunity at stabilization that congregate shelters may not be able to provide them, that unsheltered homelessness may not be able to provide them in a way that's structured so that when they do move into housing, that they're successful. That's so helpful to to me to like 
understand it as someone who's never been unhoused. But I think about like if you go camping for two weeks and then you come back to like quote unquote civilization, you're reacclimating to your life inside your home. And that's not in any way the same, but it makes sense to me now to see why you can't just jump from someone who's been unhoused for a long time straight into this world of rules and regulations of like paying your rent, you know, like how we interact with our neighbors, you know, the social unspoken social rules that we have around communities and living and things. And so I love that this is a way for folks to reacclimate to things without it being this like extremely jarring experience. Yeah. I would just like to to touch on that a little bit after you you've said that because I know that a, a lot of people know a little bit about my story and that I come to this work from, you know, I was, I started experiencing homelessness for a variety of reasons, but um, I owned a home. I had a career. Uh, my family broke up and uh, through, I call it like a series of unfortunate events, right. That kept, you know, my life kind of in this uh, crisis mode and winding up experiencing unsheltered homelessness. It was hard for me. And I knew how to get, like, I knew all the things, right. I knew how to rent an apartment. Um, I had a career for seven years, um, but it was still one of those overwhelming tasks of how do I get back there? And I had some of those skills. And then when you think about some of our folks who have been experiencing chronic homelessness for, you know, a long time, and maybe some folks have never had an apartment or signed a lease, um, you know, lived, maybe they've lived only with family, that can be extremely overwhelming. So we're trying to provide that, that necessary piece, first of all, and then, and then as, many, as many services and resources as we can to prepare folks for that next stage in their life. Because like what Ian said is like when, when it's really hard to go from just unsheltered homelessness to housing and then have somebody be successful at it if they don't have the skills and the tools needed. And so that's what's going on inside the safe outdoor spaces. But then there's this other piece. Ian, you brought it up already, but it's like this idea of community. It's important because every time there's an announcement of a new SOS site, I see pushback from neighbors. So how are you all changing people's minds? Well, it doesn't take much work. I wish it could say that it was like, oh, something that we trained our folks to do. But it, it really isn't. Our folks are craving an opportunity to be a part of a community. Our, they're craving for an opportunity to be treated just like any other person. Because unsheltered homelessness is so undignified, is so inhumane, that when we give them those basic needs, suddenly they want to give back to the community. And so part of that is by engaging the community through community cleanups, which we do every other week, where we go out into the community and help pick up trash. And part of that is by listening to our neighbors. I think our neighbors have valid concerns and we strive to hear them, but we also strive to show them through our actions and through our work with our community members that people experiencing homelessness are not what they assume they are.
This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. I want to look to the future for just a minute because I think back to the beginnings of this... idea of the safe outdoor space, it was it was sort of touted as unrealistic, right? Mayor Hancock opposed it. It was this pie in the sky out there idea, but now it's it's a thing. It's happening. It's it's in different neighborhoods in the city. It's it's more normalized. And we're 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 about to spend four million more dollars ex, you know, supporting and expanding this program. What is that what's the next big idea? Or what if you two could have anything, what would be what would we do next? I want to work myself out of this job. I want there to not be unsheltered homelessness in Denver or unsheltered homelessness in the United States, that we're progressing towards really investing in the model of everybody deserves a place to call home and that needs like ours, our program, will cease to exist. That's my perfect world. People should not be living outside without access to a bathroom or to throw away a piece of trash. Like we're in this circle of like blaming the individual when if somebody doesn't have access to a bathroom and they have to relieve themselves, why are we blaming that person? Why are we not looking at the larger systemic policies that are in place that that kind of have created this culture. So that's my, that's my soapbox. That's my dream world. I, I want to work myself out of a job. Who says that? <laughs> yeah, right. I'm just thinking about the basics now. It was, it was like Arctic cold last week. And we're probably looking at more weather like that. What can listeners do um, to support you all and our unhoused neighbors? We really try to take care of folks during this time. So we're, you know, we have 24-7 staff. So we're checking on folks, making sure they're ambulatory. Hand and toe warmers are always great. You know, we go through those pretty quickly. Donations of electric blankets, donations of small space heaters. uh, And, you know, come visit our sites. We love to give people tours that are that honor obviously people's privacy but we're always looking at partnering with people in a meaningful way so while we do have some volunteer opportunities that are solely operational focus we also uh, invite people to bring us their skill sets so we have people that donate uh, their counseling skills their yoga skills their book reading skills Uh, so we really try to incorporate as much of the community as possible so if you're ever just wondering hey i wonder if they would like this at the sos sites reach out to us we're always incorporating new and fun ideas quika and ian thank you so much for this conversation absolutely it's our pleasure 
And here's what else is happening in Denver today. Employees at the Starbucks at 16th and Tremont have officially taken the first big step toward joining a union. According to Channel 9, they join employees at two other locations in Colorado and a growing movement of baristas organizing across the country. And in a city where the minimum wage is just shy of $16 an hour, Denverite reports that the median home price has hit $575,000. How many hours of latte slinging do you have to work to save up for a down payment? Oh, and before I go, I gotta ask you, what's your go-to spot for donuts in this town? We want to know. Call our Donut Freaks hotline at 720-500-5418 and let us know your favorite donut hole in the wall. Or shoot us an email via denver at citycast.fm and give us your cakey takes on the best dang donuts in the D. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you're new here, welcome! If you've been here a while and you want to give us some love, please rate us five stars on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And did you know that we have a newsletter too? Check out denver.citycast.fm to subscribe and read back editions. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye. Calling all donut freaks. I'm just kidding. That's what's going through my mind. Okay.